Hey, it's time for the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I am Jason O'Dell. And I'm Rick Walker. And we are joining you today from beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. We have not moved. At, no. We're out <laughs> on photo safari. Um, Rick's been joining me this week as a guest of my California birding. An interloper. Workshop. Yes, that's been fun. We have a great group yeah. of uh, clients here, and um, everybody seems to be having a good time. And uh, we've just finished um, three, three full workshop days. We had our last shoot this morning. Um, and uh, although by the time you hear this, we'll probably be back in Colorado. <laughs> so Probably colder. Exactly. I'm enjoying the sunshine and the blue skies and the palm trees. I can't say uh i uh i can't say i uh, uh miss home right now or it's a lot colder I'll, I'll be happy to go home but i enjoy it out here that's yes yeah, nice. it, it's really good so um what we want to talk about today um are some things that uh we've been working on during this shooting because uh, during this experience it's been 99% bird photography with a few other things thrown in and 99% uh, fish tacos, I would say too. Oh yeah. All the good stuff. Um, and Not that we can't get those at home, but it's fun to have them out here. It seems like they're fresher here and it probably is true. Mm -hmm. And anyway, but uh, we want to talk about uh, wildlife, specifically bird photography, but more, more specifically some of the things that we've learned because, you know, we don't get out to do bird photography in particular uh, very often back home. It's not exactly the, it's not that there aren't birds, but it's just not the kind of access to, to the sorts of scenes. And right now everything's brown and dead anyway. So it's kind of, yeah. kind of difficult. So we've been shooting along the coast here in San Diego, which makes for some just spectacular backdrop backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, the same, the same species that you might be used to seeing things like pelicans but when there's waves crashing on rocks behind them it really adds a dynamic element to your photo um the difference between that and just a bird in the sky is night and day mm -hmm. um so i it's one of the reasons why i do workshop down here also it's just incredibly reliable uh, I know when you go to some of these spots, there's going to be lots of birds. And if you missed one, you wait for the next one to come by. So that's what we've been doing. And in fact, as, as always, we're learning, um, refining changes to firmware, to cameras, changes to settings, seeing what works, what doesn't work, not only which settings are important, but also where to maybe customize the button, you know, where to lay them out so that you can use them. I personally have changed a few things like two or three times since, since the beginning of the workshop a few days ago. So, you know, it's, it's just good to get out there. Um, sometimes you have ideas for things that might work and you assign it to a button and then you realize I never use this. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's true. And yeah, you can't always guess accurately. You just can't. And, and another really nice thing about the practice aspect of this location because um, again, really reliable subjects, you can change focus modes, you can change drive modes, you can change metering modes, you can do all this stuff, and just see what works. And, and go back and come back the next day and try a different setting. And that's, that's really, um, it, it's huge. And in fact, some of the feedback from the, the clients on the workshop has been 
this is really good because coming back two or three days, the same thing. It's something that you might not do if you were just going to do this on your own. Yeah. Um, the workshop format kind of kind of forces you to come out and do this, but uh, right, it, it's really good. I agree. And then you know, it also ended up uh, kind of confirming some workflow things that we had both talked about a little while back, and and, and we'll get to that subject a little bit later, but. Um, well, why don't we just, it, let it, me just ask, yeah, go ahead. you know, why don't we just mention like what we're, we're um, using down here. So, sure. so Rick, what did you bring? So I um, brought the alpha one, Sony alpha one and the 100 to 400 zoom and a 1.4 teleconverter. And that's what I used, you know, for the workshop. Sounds very similar to mine. Yep. Um, yep. Although I'm just using the Nikon Z9, mm -hmm. Z Z9. And Depends on where you, what country you want we're, to be from. We're multinational now. The Z9 yeah. and um, the Nikon Z100 to 400 zoom, perfect focal length for here. And then I also brought a 1.4 TC, uh, which I used a little bit, but but it's not it's not a hundred percent necessary with larger birds. Right. Um, and, and so that's, that's been our kit and it's really nice. It's just, to me, the ability to zoom when there's larger birds, especially if they're flying towards you, mm -hmm. that's really key. Cause it's being able to zoom out and not cut off wings. We talk about having all the reach you want. You want to get your, you know, super long. And people were saying, you know, Hey, I have an 800 millimeter lens. Should I bring it? I said, no, leave it at home because you'll just, you won't yeah. need that here. And, and given that we were flying out here, uh, it's just really nice to have a kit that fits in a, frankly, a pretty small little backpack. Yeah. yeah we it's not heavy a... and, and it just worked great. Yeah. We picked the same bag for this trip, which was the, uh, think tank slash mind shift uh, backlight 18 l the 18 mm -hmm. liter bag and fits everything perfectly including mm -hmm. some extra stuff that we played around with yeah <laughs> we brought our infrared kits but that's a that's a uh, story for another day we were having some fun there's not a lot of green vegetation in colorado in, in uh, january <laughs> so coming really? down here to palm trees we said you know we have an extra day let's do some infrared so we did but we'll talk about that maybe some other time yeah that's that's to get us prepared for our infrared workshop that we have coming up next month down in arizona so that'll be cool yeah um but let's talk about bird photography stuff because you know these these new cameras they're they they let you do a lot of things they make a lot of your life easier right um the they can. the but they're still complicated beasts and and there's still a lot of practice that goes into it um they just make certain aspects of focus acquisition easier uh, i my, can certainly say that my feeling is that i mean for one they work extraordinarily well at this point it doesn't matter what brand you get they all work really well but they're all somewhat complicated um, to get set up, configured, mm -hmm. right? Or at least they can be. Uh, they can be a little bit puzzling for people that are who aren't familiar with them. So I feel like it, they're still somewhat in early adopter land, mm -hmm. you know, where people who are a little bit more into experimenting will tend toward them and get more out of them. Um, 
but they're definitely crossing into mainstream quickly. And gosh, it's a nice technology, especially for things like this. Yeah. And when you couple it with the fact that both the Sony A1, the Z9, something like the Canon R5, these are all geared towards professional photographers. These are flagship type cameras. Their autofocus responsiveness these days is just, quite frankly, incredible. So much faster than what we were using several years ago. Um, yeah, the, I, I'll just say there were some speed. sequences that we shot this morning of, of um, waterfowl fighting and stuff like that or landing that there's just no way in the world I would have gotten in the past. I didn't even think I got him this morning. And, you know, I got back to the hotel, downloaded the images. And it's like, wow. Right. <laughs> you might not cool. get all of them. It might not no, nail all no, of them. No, no, no. Well, they're, they're, the skill involved with any kind of shooting like this is that if you catch something out of the side of your eye, if you're not, what well, we were in a, in a scenario this morning, for example, where there was probably about 50 or 60 uh, waterfowl ducks and 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 coots and all kinds of things and you never know which is going to be the one that decides to do some behavior so unless you're lucky and happen to be following something through your viewfinder and it starts to flap its wings or something it's really hard to to respond in time and the real skill here is to get to see something happening early enough to get your camera up to your eye get the subject in the viewfinder and activate the focus system now, I have been coming out here for um, since about 2018. I have been been doing workshops here with the exception of pandemic. And I have used D850. I have used the Z6, Z7 cameras. And I have tried the same spot every time. And I've gotten some occasional okay shot, but I certainly have gotten far more keepers with a z9 um, and that's because it's fast autofocus subject detection um, and then just being able to shoot so many more frames per second so many times you put the camera up you see the duck coming in for a landing by the time it gets focused it's already landed yeah and with, with these cameras it's almost it's almost instantaneous to focus and that that's huge and um you know, talking about frame rates, um, a lot of these cameras will shoot 15, 20, even 30 frames a second. Mm -hmm. What were you shooting at? I, um, let's see, on the first day I did some stuff at 20 frames per second. And then I backed down so that my maximum was 15. Mm -hmm. so I felt like, gosh, that's right. more than enough. And then for the and we'll talk about what we were shooting the last few days for the ducks this morning. I actually took it down at times down to just five because oh, for... they weren't moving quickly. And I was just, even though it was set to five, I was just doing single shots. It yeah, was just a little bit yeah. easier to control. Right. Now that's, that's something that's interesting. Um, but it was these... at 20. I was just getting a ridiculous number of shots that I then had to, cold you know exactly was, right i mean you have to go yeah. through and sift through them all it's too much and and you can talk about how great it is to shoot at 20 or 30 frames per second but honestly that's such a one-off thing 
And unless you're really, you know, photojournalism sports, you know, you really want to get that moment where the, you know, the athlete gets their hand on the ball or, 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 you know, that, that one moment for most wildlife, you really don't need that. The the only time where, where the faster frame rates kind of help is with flying birds. If you want to get multiple wing positions across a burst of frames. Um, because if you're, if your shutter speed or not shutter speed, if your frame advance rate is too slow, it can sometimes go synchronous with the wing beat frequency of the bird. Mm-hmm. And it means that you could rip off five frames, 10 frames, and the wings would literally be in the identical position right. in every frame. Right. right. So, so if you, if you can go sort of twice the wing beat frequency or, or so, you know, you're going to at least get a wing up, wing down somewhere there. And if you go a little faster than that, you might get an in-between. But then you think about something like a pelican, which half the time is just gliding. You know, yeah. They just got their wings out. Cruise mode. Yeah. Right. You don't, you don't really need 20 frames a second to achieve that. So, um, and the downside of those fast speeds is what you said. Then you got to sift through all these images and, oh, my God, it's forever. Yeah. I was finally going through and deleting the um, extra images. I, you know, they're in a lot of cases, what I was deleting were images that were fine. It's just that there were some others that were better compositionally, but I really wasn't having a whole lot of focus problems at all. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that takes us to an excellent observation that we both mm-hmm. came to our conclusion, which is with high volume shooting like this. So it goes for wildlife birds, but it also goes for things like sports action photography. You're taking a lot of high speed bursts, right? And you're coming back with a lot of photos. Um, Yesterday, I was kind of exuberant. I came back with like 2,800 frames (laughs) or something silly like that. I was having a good time though. It was was all good. But when you come back with that many pictures, let's face it, you're not you're not really taking 2,800 frames. You're, you're taking bursts and each burst represents a a capture of, you know, sequence in time where, you know, there might be one or two, you're looking for, for different things. Now, this brings up the question of how do you triage or cull the images? What are you looking for? And that process for me, and I think for you, is really different now than it was about three or four years ago. Yeah. And just even though I I had a pretty good sense of what it was going to be like, um, it was a little bit different environment, a little bit different subject matter. And so I kind of went to the conservative side. And and after the first day of shooting, I used photo mechanic to go through them. And I was checking eye focus and... um, things like that. And, and I went through them that way, but I wasn't really seeing tremendous variation. And I, I think you ended up doing the same thing, which I did, which was instead moving to a workflow where I was not focusing on what's the sharpest image, which was the problem in the past, the big problem. But instead, what was the most interesting composition or pose or gesture or whatever you want to call it, color, mm-hmm. all of those things, you know, how the overall photo worked. And, and that's something you don't have to zoom into 100% to do. You just look at the images, standard size. So I ended up 
scrapping the use of photo mechanic for that. And I just use regular old Lightroom mm-hmm. and it worked great. Yeah. And no problem. I, I was doing variants of that too. And, and, and just to reiterate in the past, it was look through at images and see if the eye was sharp or at least close. Mm-hmm. And if they weren't, you tossed them because it just wasn't going to be sharp enough. And uh, you're right. They're all pretty acceptable sharpness. There's always going to be a few that that get hosed. But I accidentally turned off subject recognition for one burst. So strangely enough, that one wasn't very sharp. <laughs> oh, yeah. I actually was playing with that and found that it was still picking out subjects um, pretty reasonably. It definitely can if but, you have the... 3d tracking or right. real but it wasn't tracking. doing the it wasn't doing the the um eye detection stuff it was just picking right. a subject but it was still right. picking out the ducks you know it was mm-hmm. it was it was smart enough that way mm-hmm. so points points for them but uh you know one thing that we should mention is you know the first couple of days we were shooting over in la jolla and the situation that we were in we, we were along a cliffside and just enormous colonies of birds, sea lions, few seals, but I mean enormous. And we had pelicans and cormorants and other birds that were just constantly flying by us. And that, that's why, you know, you were talking about it being a really good area for practicing, focusing and how to use cameras like that and get good shots. But that was the real beauty of it is there were pelicans that would fly by and then when you wanted to do some again there were more that were flying by i mean they were just coming by almost constantly yeah and it was pretty cool and and here's the thing and this is what is beautiful about 21st century modern photography Um, you have to know what you're doing of course but the cameras the metering is so good if you set it up the right way if you set up the exposure settings your and if you shoot raw your exposure is almost always doesn't have to be dead on but you're not running into major exposure problems and now with these focusing systems with the subject detection and whatnot your your focus accuracy is going to be almost you know i don't want to say 100 percent, but oh my gosh it's really really good Mm -hmm. you know acquiring a subject and more importantly locking onto that subject and locking onto its head or its eye it's amazing what these cameras can do Mm -hmm. and that means as a photographer you're you're not really thinking about exposure you're not worrying about the meter you're not worrying about moving an autofocus point around your viewfinder to keep it on the subject you can just think about keeping the the subject in the frame and then framing the subject for composition as best as you can it's still not easy when things are flying around but right but you're you're thinking about the composition while you're shooting and i don't think i used to ever think about that it it was there but it wasn't usually something you had time to to consider you were devoting too many brain cycles to to other aspects like the focus or the exposure or both Mm -hmm. and and now you don't and that same thing comes now home when you're reviewing your images you know back at base or at home you can just look to see which are the good photographs and i might have five or six in a sequence all of which are sharp all of which are reasonable which one do you pick? Well, it's the one that has the, the best potential expression or pose or the wings or whatever. That's the keeper. So my keeper rate in traditional sense would be extremely high, right? Because they're all 
in focus sure. they're right the, the traditional right. how many images did you keep that you know that's from the film days right but my actual keeper rate is something like three percent because those are the images that are either interesting or not redundant right um, and and i've got a lot of similar ones but but the ones that i truly keep to say yeah that's the one i'm going to show to my friends you know yeah. or whatever and and that's what's you, you can be a lot more discriminating one of the things I was doing was just bringing my images into Lightroom and using the auto stack by capture time feature. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great way to deal with bursts because if you set the, if so what it'll do is it'll just group your pictures by time and you tell it what's the, the, the spacing between stacks. And I have it something very small, like one or two seconds. So what that does is that all the images in a burst get stacked up together. And guess what? And They're all the same subject usually. Exactly. <laughs> so you've you know. got a group of images to pick from of that subject. And then you can say, okay, that's the one or the two or whatever that I like best. And I'll keep at least for a little while. Right. And then the remainder can go away. It, but it also, when you stack them, it makes your keywording go a little faster because you don't have to go through every single image. Just a lot of nice little things. Yeah. And and these are some of the stuff that that uh, some of the topics that we I've been teaching the, the group during our middle of the day uh, mm -hmm. processing and classroom time sessions. Um, I think another takeaway for me. Um, and I knew it, but it reinforced it is the extra megapixels that you get with a, a Z9 or a Z9, an Alpha 1, an R5, et cetera, which are around 45 or 50 megapixels really helps a lot. You know, if you go down to the 20 or 24 or 26 megapixels that you find with some cameras that I've used recently, those are great cameras and they work really well. But your ability to crop and fine tune the composition and, and also compose loosely in the viewfinder so that you in, don't end up with wingtips going out of the frame or whatever, um, it, it really makes a difference. So, you know, while in the past, the idea of a camera that shot so fast and had such a high megapixel rating seemed a little bit weird, it actually makes a hell of a lot of sense. And then the other great thing that you can do, you know, both we had both of our cameras set up so we could hit a button and go into DX or APS-C mode and crop tighter. You know, get the equivalent of a teleconverter in some ways by just hitting a button, and that was fabulous. Yeah, and and that's a perfect scenario for when you just have that one-off. I need a little more reach, mm -hmm. and, and you're just cropping the image, but but you you gain. Uh, it's a smaller file because it's pre-cropped for you. Uh, chances are you'd be cropping it anyway. And uh, with a mirrorless camera, that image zooms up in your viewfinder. Yeah, it's not so, some little image. It's full size. Right. So, so it zooms in on your viewfinder and you can, you can see that. And one of the interesting things that happens with that, and we both saw this, is that if you had a subject that was a little bit distant, the subject detection may or may not find it right away, or it might get fooled by another rock or a shape or something. But you zoom in using your little crop option in camera, then all of a sudden it sees that, oh, that's the bird and that's the head and that's the eye, and it, it would find the focus. Yeah. And, and I saw that for sure happening. Yeah, so there's definitely value in that from my perspective.
Yeah, it's cool. Not that it's not useful on lower resolution cameras, but it's the the combination of higher resolution and those features is really great. Well, I, I think it's it's not that you can't do it on the lower resolution cameras. You can, but the resulting file is a lot lower lower resolution. So yes. when you crop from a Z9, you get just under 20 megapixels. And I imagine with your Sony, it's right around 20, 21, meg, whatever. It's right mm -hmm. in that zone. That's a pretty good image either way. Yeah. Um, some cameras before would crop down to eight or six or whatever. And it's okay, but not as good. So I really like having a high megapixel camera as my wildlife and action camera. Yeah. And while you can resize files, um, it's nice if you don't have to. Yeah. In multiple ways. So Any we've had a takeaways? really good time. No, it's just been really great. In fact, we're going to go and um, do some image review with, with the group here so shortly. So um, we'll do that and, and take a look at what everybody else has been, been photographing, but I know everyone's been having a good time and, and just learning. Um, it's, 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 it's a fun place to do. And I'm looking forward to I'll have to make reservations to come back here. Uh, next year because it's such a productive uh place i don't get tired of it it's really no, I, I can see that it's it's a lot of fun i also don't mind coming to california in january just saying <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's not bad it's so okay it it works yeah all right well if you got questions about this episode or want to hear uh topics um from us that you got suggestions for or questions about your photography please let us know just go over to our facebook page facebook.com slash image doctors drop us a note and we'll be sure to get back to you so until next time happy shooting all right bye-bye